Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com. Coming up on the Money Beat Podcast, the year is almost over, and what a year it was. Let's look at the winners and losers in Bondland, and to help us do that, we have Bob Michelle from J.P. Morgan Asset Management. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Money Beat Podcast. Paul and Steve here in the studio in New York City. Stephen Grosser, how are you? doing well. You are. You're Getting ready well. for Christmas. You are. Yeah. I am too. Winding down the year. It's a little quiet. Although, a little quiet now, even, even with Dow 20,000 in the well, That was what I was going to say. I, I do feel like I'm going through stages with the Dow nearing, hanging around right. 20,000. Um, now I'm just sort of angry at the Dow. You are, because yeah. it won't do it. I missed out on my daughter's birthday. Missed oh, out on her, oh, her, her kindergarten class winter performance oh, today. God. Oh. All because of this arbitrary number. Oh, that's just awful. It is. Uh, as the year winds down and we wait to see if the Dow will hit 20,000, it's time to see. You know, it's always time to sort of take a step back and, and, and recap and recoup the year and see where we were and what happened and, and kind of take a look at the best and the worst. And, you know, look, the bond market had a very interesting year. And that's what we're going to go. Right, we're going to go now with the best the and second worst year in row for the second. Well, for the second year in row to help us do this. Yes. Yeah. Uh, for the second year in the row to help us do this, we are welcoming back Bob Michelle. Bob, how are you? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for having me back. We're glad to have you back. And Bob, in case you don't remember, folks, is head of fixed income currency and commodities at J.P. Morgan Asset Management. So there is nobody better to run down what went well and what did not go quite so well. And I have one, I have one question for you, Bob. You, you do this at least the last two years, your uh, winners and losers yeah. from the bond market. How many years have you actually been doing it? Have you done it for much longer? Uh, for about six, seven years six, now. Seven, seven years, right. But you've been in the bond market for a little bit longer than that too, right? 35 years. <laughs> so. I've only seen a bull market until recently. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Uh, so let's go. We have your list here, and we're going to run through a bunch of these with, and you can kind of talk to us, talk us through them. A uh, lot of choices for bond of the year. Who who won? Well, you're right. There are a lot of choices. In the end, 2016 for a bond investor was a very long decade. <laughs> but <clears throat> when when I think of some of the choices, it could have been Brazil, which rallied about 40% local currency, could have been high yield, which at one point rallied from a 10% yield to 6%. But I'm going with Austria. The Republic of Austria issued 70-year debt before the U.S. election and managed to put a yield on it of 1.5%. Now, That is with, astounding. With, with a lot of Europe in, in negative rates, 1.5% um, paying 1.5% on their borrowing annually for 70 years may seem a bit generous, but you have to remember that the European Central Bank is targeting inflation at 2%. At some point, they will get inflation above 2%. So what Austria has managed to do is lock in 70-year funding at half a percent below the inflation rate. I find that astonishing. You have to give them a nod. The other thing is, if you think back 70 years ago, Austria didn't exist in the form it exists right. today. It yeah. was just coming out of post-war Europe. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, but I also think this, I mean, like this pick also highlights, we saw a lot of weird things, right? especially in the bond market, with negative rates this year. Yeah, it, we, we did see a lot of things. Um, I, I, I think the, the, the move to negative rates was big. That caught everyone by surprise. It, it broke everyone's econometric models. I think the amount of money printing uh, that, that went on at the central banks, which were used to buy uh, bonds, also uh, kept yields quite low. And, and now we find ourselves um, headed into year-end with, with a reversion underway, uh, which is catching a lot of people by surprise. After all, they spent the last couple of years buying bonds. Yeah, yeah and, and I know we're doing the best the winners and losers here, and, and I don't want to you know get too sidetracked on this Austria 70-year bond, but I have to ask one question. Who buys a 70-year debt instrument? Do you know what? It, it's a lot of investment plans that have long liabilities. So it's insurance companies, yeah. it's pension funds. This stuff does go into bond benchmarks. So when you think of all the ETFs and the passive vehicles that have become popular in the last couple of years, those become buyers of this debt because quite simply, it's in those benchmarks. Yeah. And Austria was not alone in being one of the countries with the super issue. long-term debt. I mean, right. Ireland did, what was it, 100 or 70, somewhere in there? Yeah, yeah. No, there, there are a lot of others. And yeah. you had a lot of the, the tech companies in Silicon Valley yeah. um, issue a lot of debt out uh, 10 to, to 30 years. So I think, you know, corporate America, by and large, uh, took advantage of the very low level of yields and, and got out there and, and, and did a lot of borrowing at what now appears to be advantageous, um, if not career low levels in yields. Yeah. I'm just going to go, uh, going on to the next one. I mean, we started this year, I mean, or, you know, throughout the year, people wondering where inflation was, talking about lower for longer on bond yields, and then November 8th happened. <laughs> And there was a sudden switch in the in the outlook. I think of a lot of uh, investors, a lot of people across the globe. Inflation all of a sudden was you know people were talking about a pickup in that. And so for your best thriller, what what was that? I've already hinted at it, I guess. Yeah. So you know what? Um, th- there was a lot going on for 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 uh, thrillers to 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 rack the bond markets and. And Brexit was in there. The Italian referendum was in there. But, but I think it, it has to go to, to the U.S. elections. And, and if I think back and, and look at what the market had priced in, there was only a 5% probability that President Tweet would be elected, <laughs> that you would have a Republican sweep of Congress, and that the president elect would be willing to compromise. So suddenly, that's become everyone's base case. And I don't think the market has moved enough. I think there's been a knee-jerk reaction of fast money. But when we look at at, uh, how bond investors are positioned, duration is still quite long. And I don't think that accurately reflects the policy stimulus that's coming. What I do expect to happen is the first 100 days of the Trump presidency, I think, are going to be breathtaking. I think hmm. there are going to be a blizzard of policy initiatives coming out. 
Let's uh, let's talk about these. This is a big one. This is a big one. Let's talk about the central banker of the year. A lot of choices here, but who wins it? Mark Carney, Bank of England, mm-hmm. and I love the guy. Right? He he was the the uh, the banker, the the head of the the Canadian Central Bank, um, and he was brought in. Uh, to the Bank of England to be an unconventional thinker and to help them re-engineer their monetary policy to get them out of the financial crisis. And I think he did a lot of things. Ultimately, Brexit may have dealt him an unsolvable riddle where the vote on Brexit has happened, but Brexit itself has not actually been triggered. And I think he reacted perhaps a bit prematurely in in the wake of the election and cut rates um, and printed more money and began to do things uh, like buying corporate debt. In retrospect, in today's market, those things look very outdated. Um, and I fear he'll go down in history as the last central banker to, to cut rates and expand asset purchases. All right, yeah. let's uh, let's take a break. I have an important message for all you folks on the other end of uh, the listening spectrum here, listening to us. Uh, the Money Bee podcast with Bob Michelle from J.P. Morgan Asset Management, talking about the winners and losers in the bond market in 2016. We'll be right back. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com. Hi, my name is Jason Gay. I'm a sports columnist at the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, there's a sports columnist at the Wall Street Journal, buddy. I also have a podcast, The Free For All, where we talk a little sports and we talk about everything else as well. People from around the journal and the bigger universe talking about culture, life, politics, everything that's out there today. It's a free-ranging, fun conversation. I urge you to listen to it. And if you don't, I'm going to knock on your door tomorrow. Free For All. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Money Beat Podcast. And folks out there, if you want more great podcasts from the Wall Street Journal, we have a lot of them for you. You can find us at wsj.com slash podcasts. We have Your Money Matters, The Free For All with Jason Gay, Heard on the Street, What's News, The Tech News Briefing, WSJ Opinion, Media Mix, and Watching Your Wealth with Veronica Dagger. You can follow us on Twitter at WSJ Podcasts, and you can become a subscriber. You're on, we're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, Spotify, your Google Play Music app. We are everywhere that you need to find us. We are talking today, myself and Stephen Grosser, talking with Bob Michelle from J.P. Morgan Asset, running down the winners and losers in 2016 in the bond market. Mr. Grosser? Well, we've already touched on the next one a little bit. So who's your comeback player of the year? It has to be inflation, right? <laughs> if, if we go back a year ago, uh, when we were doing this podcast yeah. about a year ago, yep. uh, we were looking at the collapse in energy prices, and everyone was concerned about the deflationary spiral that, that would be triggered. And OPEC was was reacting by producing more oil, trying to bring in revenue, and it looked as though China was retrenching. So they they weren't consuming either. So it, it felt that 
that there was this massive deflationary spiral underway. And that's what the central bankers respond to, right? Um, after all, the, the central banks are run by a bunch of professors, and they were putting this through their econometric models, and this was telling them to cut rates further, bring it into negative territory, and print more money and buy more assets. And they did those things. Then a funny thing happened. Inflation picked up. And, and it started innocently enough with the production cuts in oil starting to take hold, particularly as rig counts were coming down in the U.S., and no new investment was going into energy. And, and suddenly we weren't at $30 a barrel. We were at $45 a barrel. Then China went back to its infrastructure spend. And suddenly we weren't looking at inflation-protected securities pricing in one and a quarter percent inflation, but now they were starting to get towards 2% inflation. Then you get a pro-growth president-elect in Washington talking about a mass of policy stimulus, and I think it's pretty clear to everyone that inflation will pick up, that growth will pick up, and that the deflationary fear that everyone was worried about at the start of the year has come and gone. But to give the central bankers a little bit of you know, credit, because like, you're right, like, it's, you look at the Bank of Japan, they went to negative in, interest rates hoping to get inflation, cause inflation, and, they got, and, and also to weaken the yen, and they got the exact opposite um, reaction. But they'd, the central bankers, I mean, going back to Bernanke, had been calling on politicians to increase fiscal stimulus for years, saying monetary policy had sort of, you know, had somewhat run out of its, you know, ability to stimulate um, the economy. Isn't that sort of a, a fair assessment? Yeah, I, I think that's very fair. Um, but I would have preferred for the ECB to have stopped at zero, yeah. not cut rates to minus four-tenths of a percent. Hmm. Yeah and then have to deal with all the unintended consequences. Where the Bank of Japan was the first one to go to a zero interest rate policy and one of the last central banks to cut rates, and they went to minus 10 basis points. I think the Fed looked good in this. The yeah. Fed held its nerve, stopped at zero, and, and then pointed the finger elsewhere that, that other policymakers had to intervene. I love your currency of the year, which Speaking is the next of, one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just because it encapsulates, it encapsulates how crazy this year was. Yeah. I, I went with Japanese yen. And, you know, I'm just going to hand out the award on this one and, mm -hmm. and try, stop trying to figure out how yen defied gravity. It seemed the more money Japan printed, the, the cutting rates into negative territory – the the more things slow down in Japan, the stronger the currency got. And I really don't understand it. <laughs> and, and it did incredibly well, particularly against currencies like the euro. And I know it was an enormous frustration uh, to, to a lot of the, the Japanese automakers because they compete against the European automakers and what they saw was a greater depreciation in the euro than yen, and it suddenly made the European automakers more competitive. So, you know, it, it, it's a surprise to me, and I think it, it was a, a great frustration to the Bank of Japan because, as, as you pointed out earlier, there was a de facto currency war underway 
um, yeah. and Japan seemed to have lost that one. Right, right. Let's uh, let's move on to the unsung hero. This is this is important because heroes. We all need heroes. Sometimes we need the unsung hero. Bob, who was the unsung hero? I went with corporate America on this one, mm-hmm. and and when I look at how corporate America managed itself for most of 2016, we forget that there was an earnings recession very much in place, that even though corporate earnings were going up, actually top-line revenue was flat and drifting lower. So what companies were doing was they were taking out costs, um, and, and they did it in a big way. They also took advantage, I think, of, of very low borrowing rates, which look exceptionally low today, and they used that borrowing to buy back shares, raise dividends, and buy each other. Um, so it's exactly the kinds of things uh, that you should use low-cost financing for. So, so suddenly, here we are with a new pro-growth administration coming in, as we said at the top of the program, I've been doing this for, for 35 years. I don't remember corporate America as lean as it is today. It has spent five years taking costs out. So any pro-growth policy stimulus that comes along, I think is going to run right from the top line down to the bottom line. And I think you're going to see um, enormous earnings expansion at corporate America. So well done to them. For every unsung hero, you have to have a villain. A villain. <laughs> a villain? <laughs> you do. You do. Uh, laryngitis getting to me. Um, who's your villain? Well, it, it, it's got to be emerging market debt. And in, in a strange way, I don't understand what happened to it. But emerging market bonds got dumped like sandbags over the side of a hot air balloon. Hmm. Um, and, and it's strange because for most of the year, they had something that no other government bond market had. They had a high real yield. Everyone else was engineering financial repression and trying to bring real yields negative. And they had a high one. So there was money that was starting to trickle back into emerging markets, feeling that the currencies had adjusted enough. And, and there was money that, that was coming back in, thinking that, that the central banks had, had gotten back on top of uh, what was going on uh, in a lot of the, the local markets. And those yields and currency started to stabilize and, and started to appreciate. And then we got into the election, and, and the rhetoric from the Trump camp started to eat away at emerging markets. Mm-hmm. So investors started to flee. And, and then since the election, it, it's been a one-way trip, uh, substantially lower. Well, the, the emerging marketers might not like that, but, you know, sorry, guys. Better look at 2017. <laughs> All right. Now, for the last award, the big award, who is your most valuable player, portfolio? 
had been paid to them should have gone into bonds because their liabilities inflate or deflate based on how bond prices have moved. And many of them for the last several years felt that bond yields were too low, so they invested in other things. And as bond yields plunged down towards 2% on the 30-year, their liabilities expanded a lot, and suddenly uh, their funded status went from from close to 90% to under 80%. And I think it, it would have been very easy for those plants to capitulate and start selling some of the other things they held in favor of buying long-dated bonds at 3%, but they held their nerve. And here we are at at year-end with 30-year yields substantially higher, well over 3%. Mm -hmm. Um, So those liabilities have now deflated. All the things they hold, mostly stocks, um, have inflated. So their funding gap um, has has closed quite a bit, and, and they're heading to 2017 I think with a pretty good tailwind. I think yields go higher, so their liabilities will deflate more. I think equities go higher, so their assets will inflate more. It's the perfect storm for them. And and I think that kind of nerve, patience, and discipline is refreshing, and especially so when you compare it to the rather reactionary and extreme policies that we saw out of the central banks over the last couple of years. So well done uh, to to pension fund plant sponsors. Yeah, and, and look, we're talking about pension funds. I mean, it's people's retirements too. So I mean, especially yeah. well done. I guess uh, you know, the, the, just the final question is to sort of get a sense from you of what 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 can we expect next year? Um, you know, to play a little bit of like devil's advocate with the policies. I mean, we're facing. There's, I think there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, surrounding the policies, the Trump uh, administration policies, whether it be what form the fiscal stimulus takes, how, how deep are the tax cuts going to be, um, and and then the other thing too, what protectionist policies are we going to have? Trade wars, tariffs, what form are those? There's a lot of uncertainty there. How much has the market gotten ahead of itself, and how much could the, you know the, uh, things go awry in the new year? I don't think the market has gotten ahead of itself in the slightest. I Mm. think, if anything, it's underpricing what's going on. And if I look at bonds, and I talk to bond investors, and I get this kind of pushback, I tell them, you talk as though the Fed funds rate were at 3%. It's at half a percent. You talk as though the 10-year Treasury is at 4%. It's at 2.5%. We're going to see GDP come out tomorrow. It's going to be 3.3%. And we're going to see inflation in January come out at 2.1%. So if you add those together, your quick and dirty nominal GDP in the U.S. is 5.4%. That's generally where the 10-year Treasury trades. The market's the bond markets are so out of sync with economic reality because of the distortions that have occurred over the last couple of years, because monetary policy was the only tool being pulled, that there's a lot of repricing yet to go. And we talked a little bit about the leverage we should see in corporate earnings because they're so lean. So let's go back to these Trump policies and, you know, 
Will we actually see them or not? I equate this to getting up in the morning. It's a nice day, but the forecast is for rain in the afternoon. Do you leave the house without an umbrella and wait until it rains? And, and that's effectively what people are saying is, until we see the policies, I don't want a position for them. I think that's nonsense. There is this enormous pool of policy initiatives being talked about, debated. I think they'll be implemented very quickly, and I think it will be an enormous tailwind to U.S. GDP and inflation. And bonds are too expensive, and equities look a pretty good buy in here to me. Wow. All right. Uh, we will leave it there. Bob Michelle, head of fixed income currencies and commodities at J.P. Morgan Asset Management. Thank you for coming on today, Bob. We really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me back again. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, probably in 2017, uh, I would think we would have cause to bring on your expertise before December. So, yeah, yeah. Definitely. yeah let's uh, don't lose our number. <laughs> I won't. Thanks, All right. guys. All right, thanks Bob, a lot. Thank you. It was great. Everyone, thanks for listening, as always, and we'll catch up with you soon. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.